fantastic to be with you this morning. Uh, really, really excited about what we get to walk through together as we continue our journey uh, into the incredible unfolding story of God uh, that He has blessed us with and given us through the revelation of the Scripture. So, super, super excited. Uh, as many of you probably know, I uh, had the opportunity and privilege to shoot out to Rio de Janeiro this uh, last week to go and speak at uh, a pastor's conference there and got back in Friday um, early in the morning. I headed back here to Orlando, I jumped back into kid life, uh, as tends to be the case. Uh, Brooke yesterday had to go down to Cocoa Beach to hang out with some of the ladies from our church to uh, pray through and think through and, and look forward to the next 12 months and, and thinking about what it looks like to, to really pastor and care for the woman in our church. And so that was exciting. So I had the kids all day yesterday. Um, and uh, so I thought it would be a great idea to, to run out and go and watch a movie with them. Because, you know, that's what we do, us dads, when we've got our eight kids and the, and the wife is out. We're like, okay, it may be $500, but we're doing it. Because <laughs> at least they're sitting still staring at something big. And so... Um, so I gather the kids up, and there's not a lot of movies you can go to these days that you can take a 17-year-old to and an 8-year-old to, and they can both enjoy it. And so uh, it turns out Tomorrowland came out, and uh, so we thought, let's go watch Tomorrowland. Read the reviews. Looks awesome. Man, this thing was awesome. So I, I, I'm gonna, I said to Brooke, weren't you and me, we're going to go see it again? It was so good. Uh, I was super surprised. I mean, not that I thought it would be horrible, but, uh, you know, it was a Disney flick. My older boys are like, there's a princess in it. If there's a princess in it, I don't want to go. And I'm like, I don't think there's any princesses in this. The, the, the gal in this movie was no princess, man. I mean, she was far cooler than a princess, right? I mean, uh, she is a strong character. The, the movie was awesome. And what I really loved about this movie uh, was the premise of the movie. I, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to give away uh, spoilers or anything like that, I don't think. Hopefully not. If I do, well, you know, hate me later. But um, uh, the, the premise of this movie was incredible. Uh, basically, in a, in a nutshell, uh, the world is messy. The, the world is, is going the wrong direction. The, the world is dying around us. Uh, everything from the environment to the, to the people to the character of people, every, everything is just moving toward destruction. And, and there are these few people that are dreamers, that, that believe, that have hope that's bigger than the mess of the world. And, and they gather together and they've created this, this place that they can go to where they're working against the destruction. I mean, I, I, do you get it already? I mean, do you feel it already? I'm like, oh, this is good. And, and then because of some circumstances, even those who had hope lose hope because there is a certainty that the world is going to end. And the, the main character, this girl, uh, the, the thing that makes her so powerful is that she's no ordinary dreamer. No person that can look at a mess and just go, well, it's, it's messy, but, but I think we can get to the other side. You can present her with the certainty that the world is going to end, and she will defy it. She will go, I, th there's got to be a way. I, I will not believe that that's going to happen. And because of that incredible reality, the movie premise is built. That, that it takes dreamers, it takes people that believe and have hope despite reality in front of them to be able to move into the world and to create the kind of change that will bring life and, and, and freedom again. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's us. I'm literally in the movie. I want to shout, that's us. The, we, we are the dreamers. We're the church. You understand? We're the church. 
And then I realized, you know what? Nobody, nobody's going to believe that. When I, when I shout, we're the church, they're not going to go, oh, oh, you guys are the dreamers. You guys are the, the, the people that run with hope and, and belief, no matter, no matter the odds stacked against you. And, and there was a deep excitement and a, and a deep sadness to me at the same time when I watched this movie because I, I realized of all the people on the planet that, that ought to be the dreamers like these people are, it really ought to be us because we have the greatest clarity of anyone of how the game ends. We know where it goes. We know how it ends. We know what happens. And so we should have great hope. Yes, the world is messy. It really is. It's not just the movie. It really is. And so when you look at it, nobody's denying that. Nobody's denying that. Yes, the world seems to be moving in the wrong direction. Nobody's denying that. Yes, death actually seems to win when observed in an everyday sense, right? How many of you will die? All of you. All of you will die. Nobody lives, right? Nobody wins. And so you look at that and you're like, the world's a mess, it's going in the wrong direction, and death always seems to win. Suffering comes, disease reigns. No matter how good we get at stuff, we solve one and five others wait to kill us. And so you look at it and you go, nobody's denying that it's rough out there. And, and so how do you walk into a world like that? A world where from an observable standpoint, death wins every time and it's messy and it's going in the wrong direction. How do you walk into that world full of hope, full of zeal, full of, full of fight, full of readiness to, to walk into that world and say, no, I will carry into this world hope and light and life. How do you do that? And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with. It's exactly what he's writing to the church in Thessalonica about. As you remember, if you've been around for a little while, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica from Corinth to encourage them. Why? Because they were under, are under great affliction because they're choosing to live a life that follows Jesus. But despite affliction, they are living this life full of belief full of faith, faithful, right? So they're living this faithful life in the midst of affliction, and Paul's writing them to say, I'm celebrating you, I'm excited about you, uh, your life matters a great deal, and your faithfulness matters a great deal, and it's making great ripples in the kingdom of God as it moves into the kingdom of darkness. Thank you. By the way, here's how that continues. Here's how you continue in that. And one of the questions that uh, emerged in the church in Thessalonica, it seems as they uh, were uh, sending word back with Timothy from Thessalonica is, Paul, we, we, we hear you, and, and that's exciting. We're, we're living the gospel, but, but there's, a, there's a lot going on here, and, and several of us have died, uh, like dead. Uh, so how do we play that? Like, death seems to be winning. How does this play out? We want to be full of faith. But how do we live this life full of faith? And Paul responds to them in this letter saying, Oh, oh, I know what it looks like, but I got news for you that is going to change everything. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Thessalonians. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians. Again, uh, the first letter that he writes, we're sort of in both. They go very close together, uh, written very close together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 
page 641 if you're using one of the Bibles we provide. 641, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to jump in in verse 13. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, here's what Paul says. Listen to what he says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Well, what a great start, right? What is Paul doing here? He's setting the premise for us on what he's about to write about. And he says, listen, I don't want you to look at what seems to be happening around you in the temporal realities of this planet and be uninformed about what's going on so that you grieve without hope. I'm going to give you something that is going to give you hope beyond your wildest imagination. That's what Paul's about to do. And he's talking about what specifically? Those who have fallen asleep. Now, just so you know, in case it's confusing, Paul is not talking about people taking naps, okay? Somebody among you has, has gone to sleep. They're resting, and I want to tell you why they're resting. That's not what this is about. Paul, it was a nice way of saying we're going to talk about the deceased, right? We have all sorts of words in our culture we utilize for those who have died. We don't really like to say that word death, right? Oh, she died. No, we don't say that. We go, oh, she, pa- she passed on, passed away. She's deceased. We have all these neat words we come up with to kind of try to remove the word death out of the equation because none of us like that because when we say the word death, we know what it means, right? Every human that dies tells us something. Your time is coming. Right? I mean, isn't that true? And so Paul says, listen, I, 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 I'm going to talk to you about those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away, those who have deceased because you may think if you don't know any better that death is winning. But death is not winning. Take a look. Paul writes this. Verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Wow. See what Paul's beginning to say? Guys, listen. Listen. In this world, in the mess that this world produces, because sin and death reigns on this planet, it will seem as though in many circumstances that you face that this reality of sin and death has the upper hand. You will suffer at times for no other reason than sin and death reigns on this planet. Not because you made some drastic and horrid decision. Not because you're carrying the gospel. Not because you're living for Jesus. Just because this planet is full of death, right? You don't get cancer because you're carrying the gospel. How do I know? Because a bunch of people who are not carrying the gospel get cancer too, right? You don't, you don't get hit by some driver who's texting because you're carrying the gospel. Because lots of people who don't carry the gospel get hit by drivers who are texting. Okay, so, so it doesn't really matter, uh, in this case, who you are. Because you live on this planet, there are circumstances that will affect you and I, regardless of who we are, because it's a planet of sin and death. And the ultimate, the ultimate end to the big win of all that sin and death is that your body dies. That's the, that's the culmination of all of sin and death's plan. And here's what Paul says. When death has its ultimate win, when death 
has its ultimate way and it brings your body down and you die. I got some news for you. Death produces what God wanted it to, which is life. What? Death, in trying to kill you, makes you alive. Why? Because Jesus already made you alive and your body's holding you back. So when death thinks it's winning, it's actually losing. Why? Because when you die, Jesus will reconcile you to himself fully and bring you to himself. So are you afraid of death? Well, you ought to be, but not anymore. Because there's a greater picture than what you're seeing. See, that's what Paul's saying. Now look, he goes on. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We don't get to see Jesus before those who have died because they're dead somewhere, and then we get to see him, and then they come from the dead. No, 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 no. No, we don't get to precede them. They get to precede us. So here's what Paul's saying. The people that have died don't feel bad for them. They have what you're waiting for. What you're longing for, they already have. Because death didn't win. Death produced life in its effort to produce death because Jesus is bigger than death. Now take a look at this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Wow. Now listen, for those of you that are theologically minded, if you're going, oh, oh, are we going to get into all the end time stuff right now? Not today. There you go. (laughs) Be at rest. Be at rest. Because that's not the point today. The, 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 The words that we are to encourage one another with is not about a theological positioning of how it's all going to play out. That's not what Paul's trying to do here. Paul's trying to say right here, be encouraged because death does not win. It cannot win. It will not win. It is always going to be life that wins because Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things and he wins. So when you are suffering, when you are struggling, not because you're carrying the gospel. Remember we talked about that last week. Last week was if you're carrying the gospel and because of that there's affliction, there's one way to deal with that. But this week it is not because you're carrying the gospel, but just because you're on this planet, things come at you. You and I, P.S., in case you're confused, are not immune to the sin and death on this planet just because we know Jesus. I might get sick too. Yes, you might too. I might get hurt. I might get hit by somebody in a car. I might fall off something and fall down the stairs and break bones. I might. My kids will fall off monkey bars just like the non-believers' kids, and they might both break their legs. When things come that show us that this planet is a mess and death is winning, what Paul is saying here is, breathe, 
Don't get discouraged. Don't get bent out of shape. Who wins? Who wins? Death or Jesus? Who wins? And you see, this is what Paul's doing. So whenever people die, whenever grievous situations happen, whenever tough stuff comes, whenever you're looking at circumstances and going, why me? Have any of you ever been there? Come on now. Why me? Then Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Yes, it's, yes, it's rough. Yes, it's full of loss. Yes, it's very difficult. Yes, it's tragic. Yes, this shouldn't be happening to you or me or anyone else. Yes, we shouldn't die. Remember the gospel? Remember the gospel? When we were created, were we created to die? No. Created to be sick? No. Created to suffer? No. Created to struggle? No. No, we were created to live in life and light and freedom every single second of every single day for all of eternity. We chose a different path. We bought into a lie. We pursued our divinity and discovered what God said we would, which was death. Death came because we human beings believed the wrong guy. And we had every reason not to. We were not two-year-olds with a sin nature bent to touch the little toy we're not allowed to. If you think that's what it was, it wasn't that at all. We were human beings fully free, bent toward God, and against our very nature in the garden, we chose our own story over God's. And this is what we got. But despite this mess, what Paul is saying is when things are grievous, grieve them, but not without hope. Grieve them, but not without hope. I loved in Tomorrowland, there was this beautiful dynamic in the main character that there was a sadness about the state of the world. There was a grief about the realities of the world. There were moments in the movie where it was almost hopeless even for her, that, that she had to be called back into hope because she would look at the realities of the world and it would drag her down and she would go, I'm so burdened and sad by what I see. And Paul says, yes, you ought to feel that way. This is not some message about, are you sad that your circumstances are bad? Bad Christian, bad Christian. No, this is not us running around like Christians pretending to be happy despite all the mess we're in. Oh, it's all good. Bless you, bless you. Oh, I'm blessed today. Yes, my life's falling apart, but it doesn't seem to be affecting me. Don't, don't kid around. Don't pretend. I know what it's like laying in bed at night when the tears are flowing and you're alone there and the darkness feels so oppressive you don't even know what to do with yourself. And you know tomorrow's church and you gotta put those clothes on and tie that on. Come in and smile. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Because if I'm not good, I'm bad, right? No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, man, get together. Grieve the realities that are going on. You, you're suffering, grieve that. You shouldn't be, it's hard. Did somebody die? Grieve that, that's a great loss. Are you dealing with sickness that seems to be having its way? Grieve that. It's not, it's not good. God doesn't, doesn't want us to suffer. But once you are in the grief, grieving, do not let that, grieve, that grief bring you down into a place that lands in hopelessness, discouragement, depression, these kinds of words where it's not about grieving anymore. It's not about an intellectual reality of the sadness. It is now about a hopelessness. Paul says, no, 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 you don't, you don't need to be hopeless because you know something. You know the end game. And so fix your eyes together 
on the end game to remind yourself that in the middle of the current circumstance of struggle, the end game is beautiful still. And he actually says, encourage who with this? One another, what does Paul know? You do this alone, you die, right? You are no match, you and I, for the weight of the struggles and sufferings that come with this planet. You are no match, you and I, for the weight of darkness that will linger on us at times in our lives. We need each other to be able to encourage each other and say, I feel your pain, brother. I feel your pain, sister. But let us remind ourselves of the end game. Listen, listen to this. I'm just going to buzz through this. Listen just a glimpse into what the authors of Scripture say about our end game. Let me remind you, as I've been reminded this week, of our end game. We will be made perfect, you and I. What? You and I will be made perfect. That's a promise. It's a promise in James 1.4, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in Philippians 1.6, just to name a few. For I'm confident of this, Paul says in Philippians 1.6, that he who began this work in you, this good work, will bring it to completion, to finishing, to doneness on the day of Christ Jesus. You and I will be made complete. We will be made perfect. We will be finished. Done. Finished. There's no changing that. Creation will be restored. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18 through 21, Paul writes about the groanings and struggles of our current reality on this planet, and then he says, but don't worry, because when Christ is done, he will restore creation to its full and beautiful and perfect state. All of the mess that we're in ends redemptively. All of it. All of it. So every story, every reality, God will redeem. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, Revelation 21.4. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death. When death finishes its work on this planet and produces life because of Jesus' power over death, after it's done its work, it gets no more work, right? It's out of a job. Death ends in unemployment. You understand? Because we win. Because Jesus redeems. There is great joy coming. You should read. In fact, let me read Isaiah 34, 10. I love this verse. Man, when you read this verse and you're like, in the middle of all the insanity, read this verse. This is a verse about what's coming. You ready? Isaiah 35, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. So there it is, okay? Those who have been ransomed, bought back, redeemed, taken back from death. That's, it's you and me. It's you and me. Take a look. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. With singing, wait for it. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighting shall flee away. Wow. Wow. Bye, sorrow. Hello, joy. How long? For the everlasting realities of eternity. This is our end game. We will be reunited with one another, even in death as it separates us with such permanency. God says it's not permanent. You will be reunited with one another. 
That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 that we just read. And top of the entire list, here it is. You and I get reunited for eternity in perfect relationship with the creator and sustainer of all things. We will be right with God forever. Wait, 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 what verse is that? It's the whole stinking thing. It's the whole thing. It's all of it. It's the gospel. That at the end, we are right with God. And so as we walk through this, in our struggle against darkness, we, we must never, ever forget the end game. Ever. That's what Paul's saying. How hard is it today? Is it very hard? Yes. Okay, grieve that. Grieve that. Cry some. It's good for you. Scream and shout. It's good for you. But do not be without hope. Gather some believers around you and have them remind you of the end game. Because of all the people, of all the people on this planet that should be the dreamers, that should look at the mess on this world and walk out of those doors and go, bring it on, bring it on. I'm going in and if you tell me with certainty that today is the end. I will tell you with certainty that the God that redeems all things disagrees with you, and he wins. See, it doesn't matter. Bring, bring it on. I will grieve it. I will, I will struggle with it. I will hate it, but I will not be hopeless in it because there is no need to be hopeless. We should be the dreamers. We should be full of hope in the storms of life. And we shouldn't be full of hope in the storms of life because Jesus is with us. Though he is, don't get me wrong, but there will be many days it will not feel like he is with you. If you think you're gonna spend the rest of your life and it's gonna feel like Jesus is just like in the boat with you, just kind of, hi, I'm right here. It doesn't feel that way. Many of the times in the biggest storms of your life, it will feel like Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. Well, wait, wait, does that sound familiar? <laughs> it does to me. There was actually a story about this in Matthew chapter eight. The guys were in a boat disciples. They've been with Jesus long enough now to know that, you know, he can do things like raise the dead. So that's pretty big, right? I mean, they've seen it happen. They, they've seen some big things, right? So at this point, you'd think the guys would go, we, we got it. Jesus is in the boat with them. They're on a little sea. It's not that little, but I mean, it's decently small comparatively to the entire universe, right? And they're kind of rowing around, and this giant storm comes, and it starts rocking the boat like crazy to the point where the fishermen, fishermen are afraid. Okay, they think they're going to die. The storm is very big. What is Jesus doing? Oh, he's panicking. No, 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 he's not panicking. He's encouraging them. No, 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 he's not encouraging them either. He's sleeping. Yep, that's right, he is sleeping like a baby in the storm. I, when I die, I'm gonna ask him. I am gonna ask him, were you pretending? I just wanna know. <laughs> I just wanna know, was it for the illustration? Because if it was, I'm, I'm okay with that. I just, in fact, I think that's funny. I, th I hope you were. I hope he was pretending. But maybe he was just sleeping. But nonetheless, here's what the disciples experienced. In the middle of the greatest storm that they had had on that sea that they thought they were going to die, they thought Jesus was absent. They were trying to stir him. Wake up! And he weren't waking up. And they were afraid because the storm was big. Jesus comes out of that little sleep or pretense and these are the words that he says to them. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. You of little faith, why are you afraid? I love that question. I mean, if I were there, I'd look at him right in the eye. And I'd say, because of that! What poor 
anything to you. We are going to die. The boat is full of water. When this thing sinks, do I look like a swimmer to you that can swim from here to wherever the shore is? Who knows? Because we're going to die. And do you know what lives under the water in this sea? I've been told since I was a child. Demons. Demons. And they're going to suck me down there and kill me. And you're sleeping. And you dare to say to me, why are you afraid? See, I don't think Jesus was asking them why they were afraid because he was disappointed. Because he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys. He was making a statement of the great hope that he was about to demonstrate to them. Listen to this. I love this. Um, these are the little devotionals that you can pick up at the deal. And, and this, is, this is one of my favorite devotional books as a whole. And this is my favorite devotional in the devotional book. And it's written this way. Matthew 8, 26. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why does Jesus have to ask his disciples this? He knows why they are afraid. They are weak, vulnerable human beings. Welcome to planet Earth. They are no match for the violent forces of nature. What normal human being wouldn't be afraid and what savior wouldn't understand this human tendency? Jesus asks this question because these normal, fearful people in the boat with him have missed the key element in this situation. It isn't the storm that matters. It isn't the size of the waters or waves or the structural integrity of the boat. It's the company they are in. They are accompanied by the image of the invisible God, the one by whom all things were created as his disciples wherever we are. No matter how fierce the winds are, we are with him. That changes everything. Everything. Listen to this. We need to hear this convicting question on numerous occasions in our lives. Storms swell, sometimes gradually on the horizon, and sometimes, as in this story, suddenly and furiously without warning. Either way, fear is usually our first reaction. It isn't that we overestimate the storms. Hear that again. It isn't that we overestimate the storms. The storms are bad. They are bad. They really can be damaging. We see them destroy the lives of other people, no, our problem isn't having an inaccurate view of the storm. It is having an inaccurate view of Jesus. As long as we are preoccupied with the storm and Jesus seems to us to be asleep in the back of the boat, we will fear. It is a natural and inevitable human response. What Paul is saying here is this. When the storms are big on this planet of death, and you feel overwhelmed by the waves and the water, I get it, that's worth grieving and you ought to grieve. But do not in your grief forget just because Jesus is seemingly asleep on your boat, that Jesus is not asleep, he is not waiting for some moment to be awakened so that he can panic. Jesus has already won. See, here's what the disciples did not get that I love. If the boat sank before Jesus came awake, if they floundered in the water and sank before Jesus came awake, if they sank to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and drowned before Jesus came awake, if they were in the sand with the demons before Jesus came awake, it wouldn't matter, would it? You know why? Because when Jesus came awake, what would he do? He had a plan for those boys. What would he do? He'd go, I'm sorry, I was, I was having this beautiful dream. Anyways, all of you, back from the dead. 
boat. Human beings in the boat. Oh, I had this crazy dream. I sank to the bottom of an ocean and died. No, no, you did. I just resurrected you. (laughs) See, we think Jesus' power was to calm a storm. That's not his power. His power was that if he never did and they drowned, he would bring them back from the dead. See, there there is no win for death in our story. There is no win for death in our story. And what we are told is that despite the fact that you will suffer on this planet for no other reason than you live on this planet, right? Not because you're carrying the gospel, not because you're following Jesus, not because the enemy's against you, not because of any of those things, but just because you live on this planet, you will suffer. You and I, we will suffer because this planet is full of death and destruction and it is moving seemingly in the wrong direction What Paul is saying is this, do not stop fighting. Do not stop carrying the light because we are the church and we carry the gospel into death, into people's lives because God has still yet people he is redeeming and we get to participate in that and there is still yet light to expand into the darkness and we get to participate in that and there are still yet unredeemed stories that need some redeeming and we get to participate in that. So get up in the morning, healthy or sick. Get up in the morning in poverty or wealth. Get up in the morning in struggle or in safety. Get up in the morning where other people's sin has brought wreckage to your life or where other people's beautiful faithfulness has brought joy to your life. Get up in the morning. Fix your eyes on the eternal perspective and reality that in the end, every time, life wins because Jesus redeems and then walk into the darkness that awaits you with great confidence and great zeal, and wait for it, full of belief, full of faith, faith full, because you get to, because you can, because he made it possible. And when you fail, and you scream, and you shout in the boat, and you get mad, and you throw stuff at Jesus, why did you have to sleep? I was scared. He will walk over to you, he'll give you a big hug, and he'll say, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I, I hold the entire story in my hands, and I have already told you it ends well. Amen. Let's pray. God, I hardly, I really hardly have words as I consider again the magnitude of this promise that Paul is articulating to the church in Thessalonica to say, for those that have fallen asleep, for those who are suffering, for those who are struggling, for circumstances that seem to be completely outside of what we would expect because we now follow you. I love that Paul just reminds us Do not keep your eyes fixed on temporal realities, but set your eyes on the end game. Have great hope. Grieve, yes, but have great hope. Because regardless of the way the story plays out on this planet, it ends the same way for every person that is ransomed, redeemed. It ends in life, light, freedom. 
and that you have given us work to do that you've prepared beforehand for us to complete. Good works to be done only spurs us on to walk out of these doors into whatever awaits us to be full of belief, full of faith. Because we remember, though the storms are big and damaging, you are the master of the storms. And we love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name.